Well, good morning, Mosaic. We are really glad that you're here this morning. And if we haven't met, my name is Kurt, I'm the pastor here at Mosaic. It's good to be together this morning. And a um, moment of, of self-confession. Even as a pastor, I have to remind myself um, sometimes of why, I, why do I do this? Why do I do this on Sunday mornings? And every time I'm here with all of you, and I, I hope that you have the same sense too, um, I, need a, I need a group of people that pulls me beyond myself. And, and you all do that. And I hope that you experience that same thing just by being here this morning with this group of people around you. Um, it's so easy to get kind of lost in our own little worlds, right? I need a vocabulary sometime of like song and scripture um, that I can connect myself to that goes far beyond my story, but also started well before my story. And so I love it whenever we gather together and we hear these beautiful words, even like from the prophet Ezekiel, um, prophesying over these dry bones, right? And how many of us don't feel that from time to time where you're just, you're, you're burned out, right? You're exhausted. Can I, can I do this another week? Can I step into this job? Can I continue in this relationship where God is asking me to love this person or these people? Um, can I continue to step in and, and persevere and, and bring life to whatever God has before me? Um, and just the opportunity to be together. So on the increase, we have been looking at uh, this little letter um, that was written to a very little, uh, vulnerable, vibrant church in the ancient city of Thessalonica. Um, and Paul is not writing this letter um, with this theme of on the increase, addressing their waistline at Thanksgiving, although all of us may be experiencing that on the increase in the weeks to come. In the middle of this little letter, we have looked at this prayer that the Apostle Paul prays over this little, vulnerable, vibrant community. And in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, we hear these words. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So the Apostle Paul, he had a, he, he had a hand in starting this young church community, um, but he had to um, leave quite soon because there was a lot of persecution that was going on. So he leaves, and he's, he's just wondering what's happening with this little church community. And he eventually sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. And Timothy reports, these people, like, they're loving each other well. Um, they've turned to God. They've turned from idols. Um, they are giving themselves over to imitating Jesus. And there's this incredible report that Paul gets, and, and his sense is like, man, yes, let's just see that increase more and more. And Paul begins to um, invite them into this movement of growing in holiness, this idea of being set apart, that you know what you're saying yes to. And, and over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about holiness is less about what we abstain from, 
And it's more about what we give ourselves to, in particularly loving one another, but also then extending that love to everyone around us. And even then last week, we looked at this little part of the letter where Paul encourages them toward sexual holiness. And we looked at how sexuality is really an awareness of how we have experienced an incredible disconnect from one another. Um, and and it's, it's this desire to overcome this disconnect. And so every time that we actually connect with other people in meaningful ways, conversation over a cup of coffee, sharing a meal together, uh, a phone call just to reach out to a friend, every time we connect with um, the world around us somehow, maybe we, uh, we engage in, in preparing a meal, or we show up at work and we pour ourselves into it, that this is actually moving into a, a whole kind of sexuality, right? That, that as we are loving one another and then extending that love to everyone that we're meeting, this is what sexuality in full bloom looks like. So there's these themes that as Paul is encouraging them that their love for one another would increase more and more. Um, he's kind of saying, keep moving forward in these areas. We've looked at these words from Sojourner Truth, who was born Isabel Bomfrey. Um, she was born into slavery uh, in New York State, and she escaped with her infant daughter, um, became an abolitionist, and fought for women's rights. And, and Sojourner Truth said these words, I will not allow my life's light to be determined by the darkness around me. The darkness of the present moment, right? Everything happening around her, this was not going to determine the type of person that she was or that she was becoming. She was going to tend to this light, this divine fire that was in her soul. And by tending to it, by tending to it, she was going to keep becoming the person that God was going to have her to become. Now, it's important, Mosaic, that we, um, that we wrestle with this theme of what it means to be a people who continually are on the increase, growing in love, not only for one another, but everyone around us, growing in holiness, right, saying yes to imitating Jesus, that the way that we extend mercy to others, the way that we extend hospitality to others, the way that we engage in compassion and empathy with others, that this is how we would be marked. And we have to keep exploring these things because if we don't, it's very easy for this kind of divine spark in our soul, right? This part of us that Jesus often talked about, the soul that could so easily, that could so easily be forfeited, And so Jesus would say things like, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but yet forfeit their soul, this immaterial part of them, that this divine fire that's there that helps us understand who we are and all that we're to become. And the Apostle Paul, what's happening in the midst of this letter as we're going to see today is he kind of begins to um, help people settle into the long haul of what's before them. Coming out of this prayer, praying that that they would be on the increase, loving each other, extending that love to others, settling into the long haul because the Apostle Paul lived with this sense that um, Jesus could come at any time. Paul, Paul lived with this awareness and thinking about there's this present age that we're experiencing now, but there's this age to come in which Jesus will come and usher in his kingdom. And Paul lived with this sense that 
that day could happen at any time. But at the same time, the longer that that day was delayed, um, Paul lived with this sense of how long do we have to continue in the midst of all of the darkness that's around us, right? I mean, it's like when you settle into a long journey, the longer that journey gets, the more difficult it becomes. And so this is one of the tensions that's in this letter of 1 Thessalonians. Paul and a lot of the the early followers of Jesus lived with the sense that they weren't even going to see death before Jesus would come and usher in this beautiful age to come. But then something happens where, uh uh-oh, people actually start dying. And, And what does this mean now? And well, what about this Jesus thing? Is he really coming again? Is there this age to come? What are we really giving ourselves to, right? And so it would be real easy to allow this divine fire, this divine spark that was there, if it's not tended to, just to kind of allow it to burn out, go away. Join in just the way of life around and join in the darkness. Um, And so this is the danger that's going on. Mosaic, what I want to do this morning is I want to invite us into the long journey ahead of you. And let me just say this, that sometimes being a person of faith, hope, and love, which is what this community was known for, this, this little, vibrant, vulnerable community was known to be this community of faith, hope, and love. That sometimes being that person comes with little answers. And Mosaic, my hope for us is that when answers aren't there for you, that you would discover the beauty of childlike trust. That you would discover the beauty of childlike trust. Sometimes being a person of faith, hope, and love on a long journey, waiting for this promised age to come that Jesus is going to bring. Sometimes being that person, it hurts. But my hope for you and for all of us is that we would learn how to be with that pain. Whatever the hurt is, that we would learn to be with it and to be with one another's pain. Um, Let that pain be brought into the light and and let the pain do what it needs to do in our lives, right? So whatever that pain is right now, maybe it's a pain of just um, something at work, something at home, something in a relationship that means something to you, something in your life that you would learn to just let it be there. Sometimes being a person of faith, hope, and love, it's, it's risky. It's a risky mosaic. And so my hope is that we would open ourselves to being uncomfortable, Sometimes being a person of faith, hope, and love, I hate to say it, it's flat-out boring. It's flat-out boring. Welcome the boredom. Welcome the routine. Like some of us this week, your gift of love that you will bring to the world will just include doing the same thing over and over and over again for the same people that you see all day, every day, all week long. Welcome the boredom. The gift that you can bring in the midst of the routine and the boredom and the same thing over and over is by loving those people well, being present with those people, extending your love to them. Um, Guys, sometimes being a a person of faith, hope, and love is is quiet. It's quiet. feels like maybe um, there's not a whole lot of happening around. It seems like maybe God's not speaking a whole lot. 
Um, cherish the silence, Mosaic. Cherish the silence. And sometimes being a person of faith, hope, and love, it's, it's slow and it's filled with twists and turns. Embrace the pace and the journey. Embrace the pace and the journey. Guys, if we can do these things, if we can do these things, we're going to find ourselves settling into being the people that God is calling us to be. Um, so as Paul continues this letter, um, he encourages these people to strive toward a, a whole kind of sexuality, right? A sexuality of holiness. We talked about that last week. And then Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Let's look at these words together. Now about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. We're going to take some time and just focus on that phrase, but let's, let's hear that one more time. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Um, of course, we all know the scripture was written in a different language than ours. Um, the, the ancient word there, the Greek word that's used there for quiet, um, it means quiet. <laughs> that's it. It just means quiet. Um, you know, th- there's no like super hidden meaning here. Um, But let's just kind of pause and reflect on that a little bit because we live in a very noisy world, right? And in a lot of ways, we celebrate, we celebrate lives, organizations, movements that make a lot of noise. And sometimes the noise is necessary, okay? So I'm not saying there's not a purpose for noise every now and then, but Paul is telling this community in this letter, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life that you could quiet yourself down enough to actually know what's going on in your heart of hearts, that you could quiet yourself down enough to actually have opportunity to ask, what what am I really wrestling with? What's not okay in here? What what has me living from a place that feels um, kind of torn and pulled rather than feeling like I'm living from a place of, of wholeness? And as we step into that journey, that that quiet kind of life, that we would allow ourselves to wrestle with this tension of, as the divine in the quiet begins to reveal things to us, would we be okay to say, okay, whatever my self-will wants, whatever my self-will would like to impose on a situation, I'm willing to let that go. Whatever my ego would like out of whatever situation I'm in, whether it's just being right, proving somebody else wrong, having my way, am I, am I willing to let that go? 
That's what stepping into a quiet life does. It allows us to really wrestle with what's going on in here. And ultimately, it's not a self-improvement project. The goal of living a quiet life is not like just self-improvement. It's actually learning how to die, which is what Jesus invites us into. Jesus invites us into a life of learning how to die well, learning how to die to our self-will, learning how to die to the, the ego that would like to present something that we're, not, that we're not really. It's learning how to die to those things so that we can truly live from the place of who we really are. So Paul says, I, I encourage you, make it your ambition to, to lead a quiet life. One of the things I love, Mosaic, is even as Nick comes up here and uh, Nick shared just about what's going on with the bake sale here, right? Um, And I love it. Just an opportunity in a quiet way to pay attention to a need that's right around Nick and Amy and the group of people that meet at their house on Thursday nights. And what they're doing is they're embodying what what it means to be a community that's on the increase, their love for one another, but also their love for everyone else. And they simply are quietly saying, what, what's a little thing that we can do to bring blessing and hope to this family who's walking a difficult road? And so they simply say to us as a church family, hey, we'd like to do this. Would you join us in this? And we just want to kind of share this then with this family um, in a quiet way. I just think the world needs more of that right now, right? The world needs more of that where there's so much noise where there's so many people and so many organizations and so many movements dying to be noticed, um, we get to be that kind of community. Now, we're, we're doing something different, right? It's kind of like our rebellious way of living, right? Like, we're, we're not going to allow the world to squeeze us into its mold, but now we're going to do it this way. And so I love the quiet way that they're stepping into that need and they're just inviting all of us into it. Um, guys, the purpose of the church, it isn't to, to make noise or to gain attention from outsiders. Paul isn't encouraging this little young church in Thessalonica to get out there and hit the pavement and like, hey, let Mosaic of Thessalonica be known, you know, get people in the doors. That's not the emphasis. But Paul is equipping them to like just Go out there, work with your hands, pay attention to what's happening right around you, live a quiet life, step into needs, bless people, love people, serve people. And then your daily life, notice your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. Not what you do on the platform, not how excellent your communicator is up front. All of the things that really over the last few decades in in kind of American Christian culture, those are the things that we've celebrated. And so, guys, Mosaic, we're like on the forefront of like stepping into that new thing, which is really just an old thing, right? It's learning just to how to quietly tend to what God is doing in our midst right here, paying attention to what's happening around us, and then quietly going out and living a daily life in such a way that people would say, there's something different about this person, about these people, about this community. Um, the world today, the world today, Mosaic, it's, it's, filled with, it's filled with anxious noise. I think I have this, yeah, on the screen, good. The world today is so filled with anxious noise and is striving to, 
to defeat others, to control others, um, to show yourself as kind of like standing out from others, that when a non-anxious and quiet community, or even for that matter, let's, let's even pull it back a little bit, when, it, when a quiet or non-anxious life appears, whether that life is an individual life or a, a community life, that when this appears ready to love, bless, and serve, while going about daily life, it becomes a stunning encounter and a space for Jesus' presence to be recognized. Right? When you know, like when you meet someone or when you come across a life of like a, an organization and you're like, man, there is something here. There's a wholeness that's present here. There's a, there's, a, there's a quietness that's here. But yet there's a power. Like that becomes a stunning encounter, right? And all of us, hopefully you've had the opportunity to meet that kind of person um, or that kind of life in a certain community. And that's, that's the opportunity that's before us. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity to... Um, Earlier this week, I think it was Thursday night, uh, Ricky Gervais was a guest on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Did anybody have a chance to see that exchange between the two of them? Okay, I'm not going to show it here because it's not appropriate. I would encourage you guys to, um, and, but yeah, no, it's just not, yeah, not that it's inappropriate. But anyways, I would encourage you to go home this afternoon and, and do a search um, in your web browser, Ricky Gervais, Stephen Colbert, and look for it from Thursday night. So those of you who don't know, Ricky Gervais, very funny comedian. Um, he, was, uh, he had his hand in the office, right? Great television show um, from the 90s, early 2000s. Comedy just hasn't been the same in sitcoms since The Office. Um, but Ricky Gervais, very funny guy. But Ricky Gervais, a very outspoken atheist. Um, just, just cannot cannot say yes to affirming, you know, like a, a real God who's somehow holding all of this together. Um, Stephen Colbert, uh, professing Christian, um, if you didn't know that, but, but Stephen Colbert, really like an amazing individual at the craft of what he does. Stephen Colbert shows up day after day um, in the Ed Sullivan Theater doing his thing, and, and whether he's your preference of late-night talk show host or not, you have to admit, like, he's honed in on his craft and does an excellent job of it. So here's Stephen Colbert, a professing Christian, who shows up, just daily goes about his work, doing what he needs to do. And so Ricky comes out, and the two of them are engaging together, and somehow they end up on the, on the topic of death. And so what, what happens after you die? And so they kind of know, they have a history together where they've engaged in some of these conversations before. But it was an amazing interchange, a kind of this dialogue that's happening, where the way that they were listening to one another, and they weren't actually trying to necessarily, one, wasn't tr- one didn't have to convince the other one. Um, and Stephen Colbert, in this moment of... of um, sharing what he's sharing. So Ricky Gervais says, you know, they get on the topic of Jesus. And Ricky Gervais, he's like, yeah, is it kind of, he goes, my, my thought is the same thing like what Gandhi said. You know, it's, it's not Jesus that I have a problem with. Um, it's his followers. You know, and you can tell Ricky's stuck on that. And uh, so then um, Ricky says, you know, Jesus, you know, I don't know, was, it, was he like half God, you know? And Stephen Colbert's like, well, half God? What, you mean God from God, light from light, true God from true God? 
um, begotten, not made. And he actually starts quoting the Nicene Creed. And as he's quoting the Nicene Creed, Ricky Gervais kind of like stops and pulls back. And watch that moment in the clip. Because it's a beautiful moment right there where you can tell there's this stunning encounter between these two. And it's almost as if Ricky Gervais kind of pulls back and doesn't even know what to do with that moment. Because Ricky Gervais saying, you know, yeah, Jesus, I don't know, was he half God or not, you know? And Stephen Colbert's like, half God? You mean, you mean God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one from the Father? And it's this beautiful encounter. So watch it. Go watch it this afternoon. Here's what I'm saying, Mosaic, is, is as you go and just live a quiet life doing what you do well, whatever your craft is, do that. And then as you look to, to love people around you and be present with what is going on in their life, whether it's a spouse, a child, a parent, a coworker, um, all of a sudden you're going to begin to understand how do, I, how do I just love this person? How do I listen and empathize with where they're at? And how do I not try to control this situation or impose my own desires on this situation? But how do I just simply be present and look for the opportunities to somehow make Jesus known, somehow make his presence known? This is what it means to to live with this ambition, to live a quiet life, working with your hands, doing your thing. Paul continues on in in the letter, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's this issue where these people have settled into the long haul, and now some of their people are dying. And these people are like, well, what about our loved ones? Like, we believe this day is coming, this age to come when Jesus will come, but what about them? Because now they're dying, and these people are grieving. And so Paul is saying, look, I don't want, to, I don't want you to be ignorant about these people who have fallen asleep. Notice the language even, kind of the, the language that Paul uses there, like these people who have fallen asleep. Like, I'll tell you, there's a day coming For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This passage has become a real trouble spot for the church in a lot of years. Some of you might know why, some of you may not. Um, so let me, let me say this first. This language that Paul is using here, kind of this idea of Jesus coming, and as he comes, the dead, who, those who have fallen asleep, they will rise first, they will, they will meet Jesus in the air, and then we who are still alive will then be caught up with them, and together we will be with the Lord forever. Let me say this, Paul is not inviting us into a grand evacuation plan here, okay? That that is not the purpose of this letter. Now, some of us have maybe been around church situations where maybe that's kind of been presented, and let me dive into this a little bit more. Contextually, what's going on is this. In the city of Thessalonica, it's still there today. There would be a Roman triumphal arch. I have a picture of it here. 
in this Roman triumphal arch was, um, it was there just as a way to remind the people that, hey, Caesar is Lord. And so what would happen every now and then is Caesar would come riding to town, especially after a military conquest, and the trumpets would blow, and there would be a lot of noise, and then what would happen is all of the people of that region were expected to come outside of the city gates to meet Caesar, this one who is Lord, and they would usher Caesar then back into his conquered domain. Are you with me, Mosaic? So contextually, historically, this is what the people were used to interacting with. Caesar, the one known as Lord, beyond this military conquest, he'd come riding into town, the trumpets would blow, all the people were expected to go outside the city gates and welcome him into this triumphal kind of arch. This is your land, Caesar. We're here with you. Um, We will live your way. Now, in the midst of this letter, what's happening is Paul is inviting these guys, imitate Jesus, follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Now, there's a, there's a phrase in the midst of this passage um, that those of us who are still alive, we will be caught up with them in the air. The Latin word there for that phrase, caught up with them, is this word rapturo, okay? And so there's this um, very kind of narrow stream, especially of American Christianity that has kind of captured it on this phrase, and they've read a couple of other passages of Scripture in other parts of the body, uh, of the Bible, namely at the end of Matthew and some other Old Testament prophecies. And they've developed this thing that there's this rapture somehow that the church, Jesus is going to come back and like, these people are going to vanish from the earth. And then like, boom, they're going to go with Jesus. And then like, all havoc is going to be like just crazy here on the earth. Um, In fact, it got so crazy that when I was born in the 70s, there was this movie that came out. It was called A Thief in the Night. And uh, crazy. So the woman there on the screen, like, she, um, she didn't believe the right things about Jesus. So Jesus came back, and this rapture happened, and, like, Christians were taken away with Jesus, and she's, like, left behind. And she has to decide, am I going to follow Jesus, or am I going to follow the way of the world that is, like, being you know, kind of this system of like this secular system around me. And if she does that, like if she follows Jesus, she might actually like have to face some type of persecution. I remember as a little kid, literally like this kind of stuff. So it's funny, this passage here, Paul's bringing comfort to this community. But in, in the environment that I grew up in, which was very much this, um, this passage didn't bring me comfort. This passage freaked me out. I would be in a store, and if I were, like, shopping with my mother in the store, and all of a sudden I couldn't find her, I was convinced Jesus came back. I had misbehaved the day before. Mom, like, got caught up in the clouds with Jesus and was gone, and now I'm stuck back for all of this horrible, like, persecution and tribulation that's going to go on. Freaky stuff, right? And then the church kind of kept running with this, right? Rather than actually this being a passage of comfort, became a passage of like freaking people out and making a lot of noise and trying to scare people. Because if we can scare them and make enough noise, maybe they'll join our side. So bumper stickers eventually like came around, warning in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned, which will then turn it into a death missile on the road, which is exactly how Jesus accomplishes his purpose, right? (laughs) Through like turning things into death missiles and like just, yeah. But like this, this stuff like really developed, you know? 
Um, and then like this one here, you know, kind of came up, you know, then we started predicting dates. All right. Maybe we'll just like, we'll tell people it's coming, get ready. And like all of this noise and it's, it's all of this anxious noise. It's all of this anxious noise in the world. So we could talk about this for a long time. I could continue to unpack kind of how this stream of thought developed in a very narrow stream of American evangelical Christianity. But let me say this, that is not the point of this passage. What Paul is doing is he's inviting people into settling into the long haul, living a quiet life, doing your work, knowing what your craft is. If you teach, teach well. If you make something with your hands, make it well. Um, you know, if you're a parent, like, just parent well. Do your th- like, just give yourself to your craft. Live a quiet life. and then Love your church family, and then look to extend that love to others. And you don't have to make a lot of noise. Just love, bless, serve people. And you know what? Like, this is a long haul before us, and there's going to be a lot of tough, difficult days to this journey. In fact, we're going to lose people, and we're going to ask questions. Well, what about this? And Paul is just bringing comfort to this community, saying, look, you're not forgotten. This day is coming. There's this day coming when everything will be made right, when Jesus will come, and much like Caesar arrived, we will, in a sense, this 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 picture that's being used, we will somehow welcome Jesus into this, his world. We'll welcome him here and say, yes, we're ready for you. You know, and and Jesus will make his home here with us. Guys, at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, verses 23 and 24, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And that's that that idea of sanctification, holiness. Not just what you abstain from, but more about what you give yourself to. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This age to come, that will come. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And guys, that's what I want us to end with in this letter. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. This is the good news, guys. The good news is you're not faithful, I'm not faithful. And the good news is, is I don't have to beat myself up over that, and neither do you. Jesus is faithful. Jesus faithfully lived the life that you and I couldn't. But Jesus now invites us into this life as he keeps us and guards us and helps us be the people that he's calling us to be. Um, And he's going to keep us until that day. And he will keep each and every loved one that we've had to say goodbye to in the midst of this long, patient wait before us. But in the meantime, what do we do? We quietly live our lives. We hone in on our craft. We do our thing. We do our thing. And then we get out there and we look for opportunities to bless, to love, to serve, to proclaim Jesus, whatever that looks like. So as we prepare to close this morning, I'll invite Landon and the team to come up front here this morning. And I want to invite you to simply come to these tables as a way of allowing yourself to be reminded that wherever you're at in your faithfulness right now, or let's better yet say just wherever you are in your unfaithfulness, because I've been unfaithful this week, um, I have gone my own way. I've chose to do it my way. Um, I haven't stepped into love in the way that God has called me to love sometimes. I haven't stepped into that childlike trust in the way that I would like to. 
Um, but God keeps me. He loves me. He keeps you. He loves you. He will do it. He's the one who is faithful. You don't have to be. So just let this be a journey this morning to that hope and that promise and that good news that even though you're not faithful, Jesus is. Um, and let that shape you as you step out into this week, right? To, to be that person who is, yeah, on the increase, growing in our love for each other, for everyone else, honing in on our craft, doing our work, living a quiet life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these beautiful letters to uh, little churches from ages ago. And we thank you for the way that these letters bring life, uh, meaning to our own existence. Thank you, thank you, God, for Jesus, the faithful one. Thank you that we are united with Christ. We are united in his death, and we will be united with him in his resurrection. And we hold on to that hope. And uh, God, thank you for the way that, that you love everyone, each of us, late-night comedians, um, comedians who are atheists, political leaders who are difficult, whatever it is. You, your love, it never stops. And so, God, help us to extend that love to each and every person that we meet along the way as we live these, these quiet lives trusting you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.